Welcome to The Counter Offer. I am your host, Susanna Gray-Jones, recruitment strategist and owner of Chime Search. It is my belief that it's simply not worth being a mediocre recruiter. Recruiting is tough, and it is my mission to make sure that you get all the best tricks and use the daily rituals to be the highest earning billers to become exceptional recruiters. So tune in and learn the secrets that the elite don't want you to know. Our guest in this episode has continually been named one of the 25 most influential people in the world of sales and marketing. Anthony Iannarino is a best-selling author internationally and a recognized speaker of sales, success, personal development, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Anthony's three privately held staffing firms generate annual revenues of $50 million. These firms serve some of the most well-recognized brands in the United States. Anthony speaks to and provides transformational workshops to sales organizations throughout the world. His blog, thesalesblog.com, is read by 60,000 people each month and his Sunday newsletter reaches 80,000 people. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, The Counter Offer. I thought I would just give a bit of a brief story as to how we got here in the first place. So Luke Smith is my coach. He's my mentor. But this book, he said, Susanna, you've got to read this book, Elite Sales Strategies. I was like, I know this name. I know this name. And then I realized why, because you were speaking at the conference outbound that I was speaking at. And even worse, wait for it, Anthony was at the back when I had to do my talk, watching and governing all the mic and coordinating it. I mean, imposter syndrome much, it was scary. But you've been my hero for a long time after reading your book. So thank you very much for coming on today. Of course. How could I say no? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've because I've done you an introduction very much about what you have done, a bit about your biog. What are you up to now? Can you tell listeners a bit about who you are if they don't know you, which they should? Can you tell them a bit about what you're up to now and what's Anthony Iannarino doing with his life? It's interesting because I have this little graphic somewhere that says, I'm a blogger, I'm a writer, I'm a five times bestseller, I'm an international speaker. And then underneath it, it says, and I only do one thing. And well, that already is a lot of things before we get to there's only one thing. The only thing that I really do is I help salespeople and sales managers evolve their approach in this environment that we're in right now. So that's what I do. I help people figure out what the environment's like, what it means for us, and how we should change. So that's what I spend most of my time doing, that in typing. Why is that kind of where you choose to position yourself? What is it about it that that inspires you to keep kind of going and writing and getting others to evolve. So we're in this weird time right now. It's a weird time for a whole bunch of reasons, but there's a lot of stuff right now, like chat GPT, right? Yeah. So you know that. Bard, which is Google's version of this. Something yeah. like that. It's pretty good. And we've decided for some reason that technology is going to own us. So you own something 
but it ends up owning you. So that's what happens is that you now belong to this phone. And I will prove it to you if I can. You okay. pick up your phone more times a day than you pick up a newborn baby. No. So you pick this thing up. You don't take the baby into the bathroom with you, but you do take this thing with you into the bathroom. Why? What are you going to be doing in there? Like, you don't need the phone with you when you do that, but you can't stop yourself from carrying this around. On this phone right now, there is no Twitter. There is no Instagram. There is no Facebook. There is nothing in here because I want the dumbest phone that I can have. I just really? need a phone to talk to people on or text. That's the only things that I need. So here's what I care about. I care about human effectiveness. So that's what I spend my time on. How do we have an effective conversation around change with people who need help? And that's the thing that I'm most concerned about. So I know other people are concerned about, well, we could use chat GPT and we could write emails to people. Yeah, you could write an email without chat GPT too. And it would probably be more authentic because chat GPT is not very good. I mean, it's just not very good. Ask it to write something for you. And you're going to go like, why did it write that? It's just not right. I'm more concerned about how do human beings succeed than I am. How do we use these technologies? I know they're going to get used and I know that they're going to be problematic in the future. I already have a prediction that at some point we're going to need a kill switch for AI. I guess if we will, somebody's going to connect something and we're going to have a problem because that's generally what happens <clears throat> humans and technology. So yeah, Anthony, hello. Great to meet with you. It's funny you say that because digital distraction is real. I was reading an article recently. I'm big into all sports, and it talked about it talked about the Tom Brady's, the Lewis Hamilton, Federer, Djokovic, the big three. Uh, why is it up until ten years ago, if you're in your early 30s, you'll see as washed up as a tennis player, and yet you have these three legends, Nadal. Djokovic and Federer, still the best in the world. Federer said it well in his biography, his autobio. He said, look, all I used to do was ride my push bike to the tennis court, play tennis all day, and then go home and sleep. He said, I'm, I am walking out onto a court in a slam, and I'm playing against a guy who's either listening to his headphones or he's looking at his phone. And they'll look at their phone in between. And he said, you look at the players coming through now, a hard day's work on the court is two, two and a half hours. And he said, that's not even concentrated time. Their mm -hmm. phone's in their pocket whilst they're playing. And he said, these are the pro guys on the tour. So he said, we had a very simple life. And he said, look, across all sports now, the, the players coming through are just, they're not as strong because they haven't had that focus. There's digital distraction. And he said, you'll see it across all these different areas. And I know from me growing up, and how much you very rarely get bored these days. And that's where you, your creative mind kicks in. Now it's just completely different. I, I watch boxing all the time. These young kids that are coming up, that, like Shane Mosley's kids, like yeah. Vander Holyfield's kids, they have no focus. They're in the middle of the fight. And all of a sudden you can just see that they're no longer focused on the fight anymore. And I think it's because they have to pick up the phone every minute. Really? They have yeah. To something or do an instant oh, so our brains do you think it is our brains are being affected in a big way by this for the future it's already changed our brains you only have to look at the younger generation how quickly they adapt to the iphone it has already changed 
It's unbelievable, actually. But look, I, w- I wanted to say hello as well. I loved your book, Elite Sales Strategies. The one-up was quite profound to me. I, mean, I remember it was a real light bulb thinking about just all my conversations of when I've been one up and one down. Where it really helped me, Anthony, was putting some thought into how can I get more out of clients I'm one up with and rather I am their go-to point. So what I did from that, I approached a client and I, so, so I do permanent recruitment. I, I know you used to do it. I think you were temporary, but you had a sales and re- recruitment background. So I approached them and we ended up agreeing a, an annual retainer. So hang on, how can I use my one-upness, so to speak, to actually ensure that I've got continued work coming in, whether or not fill the role. So it's, we organized a, an annual retainer, which was ongoing, and it's been great for me. But I, I wouldn't have done that without reading that and understanding, going into meetings, understanding when I'm one up and when I'm one down. Mm-hmm. There's another thing that you said as well recently, which I thought was quite profound. I, I'm always like going in there thinking, what is my desired outcome? But now I'm thinking, you mentioned it exactly. You said you always want the client to communicate to you exactly what your ideal and your desired outcome is. Not for you to leave there. So they think they're winning, but you're leading them towards that. I thought that was a really good way that you put it. I can't. And actually, Anthony, can you sum up? Because I get your book. I've actually listened to it three times, but I still struggle to summarize it the way you do. If you were going to summarize what Luke's speaking about with the one up, how would you summarize it in a sentence? (laughs) I might need two sentences. The reason that you are one up is because you sell what you sell every day and you execute what you execute every day. So your experience and your knowledge starts to stack up because you've been doing this for a long time. And now your brain works in a way that you aren't even aware of. I mean, most of our brain work is subconscious. So if I sell what I sell every day and I execute for other people and I understand all this, The pattern recognition when you talk to a client is so fast for you. You don't even notice that you have the pattern recognition. It's just immediately like, I know what this is. Now, if I buy something every seven or 12 years, how could I have any experience about making this decision? Because I make it so infrequently, I can't know what you know, because I don't do this every day and you do it every day. So we have to be in the one-up position because we just have greater knowledge and experience. And it doesn't mean that person sitting across from us is not also incredibly smart, incredibly driven, and they know way more about their business than we know. And we're going to teach them at the beginning, and then they're going to teach us as we start asking questions. So the one-up thing, it's just the nature of when somebody has a set of experiences that they've acquired over a long period of time, in a position where I'm here to help you, but most salespeople are like, I need a deal. Like, yeah. No, you, you're exactly right. And it's, I actually, I didn't take it exactly word for word, but it's leading one up is leading your client to make the decision you would make if you're in their shoes. And I really yeah. liked how you talked about a salesperson, a typical salesperson. It's, a, it's they're going in to win the deal. But through your questioning and investigating, and you're showing your knowledge and your experience and your value, the close becomes, it, it's not even a point that, that they want to close and work with you by the end of it. So it's not even a point, a bone of contention. And that's right. so true because by the end of it, 
it's a, it's a natural progression. They do want to partner with you because they've seen the value. I, I think some of us do that, but it's the first time I've heard it put that way. And I think of when I started my career, so it's really helped me build better relationships with my one-up clients and as a trusted partner and almost organize a, an ongoing revenue each month. And with my one down, at least I recognize where I am in the process and I handle it differently. So thank you for that. It's been great. I can get you the same outcome that you're getting with your one-up clients that know you with the down at the same time. I can tell you how to do that. Okay. I don't have time to pull up the slide deck for you, but I would just tell you, when I started figuring out that I was one up 20 something years ago, yeah, I've been in staffing since I've, so my whole life in staffing right now is 36 years. I've been in staffing for 36 years. So quite a lot of experience stacking up, right? Because it's decades now that I've done this work. If you were to start a conversation where you could prove that you were one up already and that somebody would lean into that conversation with you because of what you were sharing with them is not only interesting to them, but it also explains why they have the challenges that they have without you having to ask them what their problem is or what their pain points are. If you knew how to do that, would you do it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So here's what you do. You create an executive briefing. And then what you do is go out to, if you're going to use chat GPT or something like that, go out and say, how many people in this job description are unemployed right now? And how many ads are on Indeed or ZipRecruiter or whatever you have over there? And then show them this and then show them the demographics. Now, if you are a reader and you really want to understand what's going to happen in the next 20 years, I'll give you two books to read. The first book is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning, Mapping the Collapse of Globalization by Peter Zeehan. And if you like to listen to your books, Peter Zeehan's delivery is outstanding and amazing, but it's 17 hours long. So you have a, you can do a little bit each day. I would recommend getting the book because the demographic data is in there. We did not have enough babies on planet Earth. Now, the, there's nothing you can do about it now. It's already over. There's nothing you can do. The Zoomers, all the Zoomers that there are, Gen Z, they're all, they've all been born. There isn't any more of them. The millennials kids are going to start going into the workforce in about 2045. So we have 76 million baby boomers in the United States that will be gone by 2030. By 2030, they are all retired, except for maybe 1 million of them, like the end of the baby. If you would brief them and explain that there's demographics, there's labor markets, and then there's wages. And if you would brief them on the beginning of that, what happens, Luke, is you're not a salesperson anymore. You're a consultant. It will do two things for you. The first thing it does is you immediately create value. There's no distance from the time you walk in and sit down, you automatically just start creating value for that person. When we say value creation, what we mean is teaching them something that would be helpful for them to get a better result that they need. And then the second thing that happens is they immediately go, well, not only is he incredibly handsome with his hair like missing, it's really good, and he looks good that way, doesn't he? 
and better than I do, I would say. (laughs) 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 The second thing that it does is they immediately recognize that you are an expert and an authority. And it's because you taught them something that they have no knowledge of at all. Ask anybody, like, tell me what you guys think about the demographics. And they're going to go like, what demographics? Yeah, Yeah. what demographics? Once they see the numbers, they're shocked. If you show them the data, make it look pretty. You have to have the data. If you don't show the data, just this is Luke's opinion. No, it's not. It's the Census Bureau. It's the Wall Street Journal. It's Peter's the Hands Research, which you can get for bucks or something. You will be one up immediately in that conversation. I did this when I was probably early 30s. I had a client that would give me more money for their temporary staff. And I briefed them. I didn't really brief them. What I did was I prosecuted their beliefs and I made sure that they felt it too. So I went through a hundred slides, many repeating each other to explain to them that everything that they thought was wrong. At the end, my client said, that was a really good briefing. And I said, thank you. And he said, can I have a copy of those slides? Nobody ever asked me for my slides. And I said, why do you want the slides? And he said, I'm briefing the senior leadership this afternoon. And now be helpful for me. And I said, okay, I'll get it to you. And he said, take your logo off first. And I'm like, he stole my homework. I did the yeah. homework. He stole it. Yeah. Two hours later, he called me and he said, I'm giving you $2 million to raise the pay rates. Now, really, I wish... I would have thought better of it at that particular time that I should be giving people executive briefings. But at the end of the year, I got a call from him and he said, you're going to brief us on what you want us to do next year, right? And I said, yeah, of course we are. (laughs) Then I thought, well, let me see if I try it just straight cold. Like, I don't even know the people. They've never met me before. Let's see what happens. it, It turns like in this, they just lean in. Like, what's that data from? What are you guys seeing? I mean, they start asking questions. They're engaged with it. And they're trying to understand. Then I started briefing people who had no power at all. And the reason I did that is because once I handed them the slide deck, they would sit down with their senior leaders and say, this is why we can't get the people that we need. It will change the nature of your relationship. And I completely it's agree. It's way easier to do it at the beginning than to try to do this later. We do the why change first. And you already know that you don't have enough people. You know that you don't have people with the right skills. You know that they're probably not paying what they need to. Their culture might not be right. But you know those things before you get in there. So you can build this executive briefing long before you ever sit down with anyone. But when you do, it changes the conversation. So I don't need to ask about your problem. I don't need to ask about your pain point. I already know. This podcast is sponsored by Chime Search. If you are like a lot of recruiters that I'm speaking to on a daily basis, you might not know what kind of salary you could be getting elsewhere. You might be happy in your role. You might really be enjoying it, but you still deserve to know what kind of benefits you could be getting in other companies. And that could be your progression path. It could be what kind of work-life balance you could be getting. If you don't know, you don't know what could be out there. So feel free to get in contact with me today on 07. 843-677-569 843-677-569 to get an idea of what else could be out there with absolutely no pressure 
but an overview of what your career could look like. I was going to ask you, what books, what early books had an influence? I know for me, the I read Thinking Grow Rich, the original version, when I was going for a tough time in early in my career, and that had a profound effect on me, and it really helped me. And then that, that, that was kind of the trigger for personal development. That's how I found you eventually. But I want to find out about your journey and where it started and who was who or what was instigator for you to go into sales training, leadership, development. Where did it all, where, where did it all start? I built a $50 million staffing company with four salespeople total. That, that's it. People started to recognize what I was doing, people in the community, and they started asking, can you help us? And at first it was my competitors. And I'm like, you can go straight to hell. I'm not helping you at all. And then how do I sit across from my mom and say like, hey, mom, I hope these other staffing people beat us for deals. That you're not going to get a great Yeah, because your mom said so she was a, a great recruiter, wasn't she? Yeah, great recruiter. She, Is that where you she, learned it from? Yeah, part of it. I didn't have a dad, so I only had a mom. So I got her values and her values were... You're disciplined, you have a duty, responsibility, you take care of people. And I tried to resist it for as long as I could. I played rock and roll until I was 25 or so. And I ended up with her values. The thing that happened to me is people started asking me to help. And then uh, there were some people that were not going to be competitive. So I started doing it. And I started with coaching. And coaching can be a grind. And that was good for me. But I needed something bigger. And Luke, I'm a person that gets bored very quickly. So I need a new challenge all the time. I have to have something that causes me to have to do something and to think through something and to build something. And that's what does this. And so when you talk about books, this is the upstairs library right here. And it is one third of the books that are in my home. I just know my whole life I've read And I love reading so many books, Luke, to talk about. I mean, I don't know what I would recommend to you, but there's a tiny book called Mastery by George Leonard. He was an Aikido master, Mm -hmm. seventh belt guy. The whole of when he started, he's, I'm 55. He was 55 when he started Aikido. His book is called Mastery. And you'll love it because you're a tennis guy. Yeah. A lot of it is about tennis and it's about not... It's about not being a dabbler. It's about being all the way in and giving it everything that you have and mastering something. It's a wonderful so, book. It's so good. That's really interesting. I've read a lot about, I read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell and he talks about the 10,000 hours. And I've actively sought out books on focus, especially in this day and age where I think it's, it's so underrated. Wow. Sorry. Focus is a superpower now. It really is. If you want other books, there's some books in Elite Sales Strategies that I, I pointed to. So there's a book by Taleb, who wrote The Black mm-hmm. Swan. That yes. book, Anti-Fragile, is probably one of the most important things that you could read, how we deal with randomness. The way that he describes it, there's three things that you can be fragile. If you're fragile, you can break. Yeah. And then you can be what he would call robust, what we would probably call resilience. So, yeah, yeah. So, there's a couple of things that he says. So, like, fragile would be like glass. I was about to say, I was thinking of glass and rubber just then, as soon as you said it. And then you get to robust, and robust is the mythical phoenix. 
like you kill the phoenix, right? It turns into a pile of ash, and then it comes back, and it's exactly as it was before. It's not better. It's not worse. It just comes right back. Anti-fragile is the hydra. In the hydra, if you cut the head off of the hydra, two heads grow back. So every time you hurt it, it starts to get stronger. So you're working out with waves, right? Yes. So Me too. you're ripping your muscles a tiny bit, right? You are going to tear it one time or another. You're going to get a little tear, and then it's going to come back, and it's going to be even stronger. stronger. Yeah. And so you have to break it to get it to be even stronger than it is, right? So that's hormesis, or go with misandry, the guy that poisoned himself because his dad was killed by poison. And, and so he started taking small amounts of poison. Now he's tried to kill himself. This is a true story. He couldn't kill himself. And he couldn't. He couldn't. Because he was yeah. immune to it. Oh my gosh. So the, uh. these are, that book is worth your time. If you haven't read Howard Bloom's The Lucifer Principle, it will change how you see everything. I only like books. I read a lot of books. Like, And this is the second one that I would tell people, if you want to understand what's happening in the future, is oh, make it through. You, yes. Yes, I feel like you spoke about this. This one is, Rubini is also known as Dr. Doom. Okay. He doesn't give you any happy news. And that <laughs> book, particularly, again, another book about demographics and the fact that the United States, if we're going to take care of all the people that we've already made promises to, we need $223 trillion to be able to do that. So I don't yeah. know where that comes from. So. Oh my gosh. I am literally getting on Amazon after this, but I've got a difficult question for you, Anthony. Which of your books is your favorite? Which do you think is the most valuable? And you have which to choose one. You have to see all of them. Which, which one of your children do you love the most? <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> no, I yeah, I, one, one definitely springs to mind, but you can't say it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, this goes for dad forever. Never say it. No, I love both You're my not. children. I love them both very much equally. Same as you and your books. But as this is like an exclusive episode, are you going to share, are you going to give us some secrets? Because you've elusively put on LinkedIn about the new book that I believe is coming out later this year? November, yeah. Ooh. So that book is The Negativity Fast. And I did this at Outbound last year. I did a short version of the book because I only had 30 minutes. So I did 30 minutes on this. And I decided that I was going to remove every negative source in my life. I'm like, I'm going to get rid of all of the negative sources. So I got rid of everything that was political. I turned the TV off. I haven't watched television news since twenty years, maybe. No, twenty years. I've not watched. How can TV. you not? Are you serious? I've, I've, looked, I've looked at your shorts on YouTube where you've communicated that. I stopped during COVID immensely. I was struggling keeping up with the uh, whatever the stats every day, and I thought this is not doing me any good. Oh, and so. So, so I deliberately stopped watching the news. I've told that to you, Susanna, and it's almost like ignorance. My, wife, my wife's mad at me about this. Like she, she said something to me. She said, "Did you see this story?" And I'm like, "Nope." Yeah. And she's like, "How can you not see that?" And I'm like, "I'm looking for it." Yeah. <laughs> How though? How? Because it's all very well knowing that we have to do something right, and this is the thing. Like, how do you get the discipline to then do that? I did thirty days. 
of the negativity fast. So I got rid of every source, including human beings that I just decided I was going to stay away from for some period of time because they were so negative. Wow. I did that for a while. And then I realized I didn't do it right. And what I didn't do was I didn't take in positives after I let go of the negative. Mm -hmm. So I did it again for 60 days, only listening to or reading or watching something that was positive. Other than that, I wouldn't touch anything. And after I did that for 90 days, I thought, I'm going to do it again. And then I did it for another 90 days. I can walk through an airport and if there's CN or Fox or anything, nothing can trigger me. I'm just not triggered wow. by any of it anymore. And so now I'm immune to any of any of that thing, any of the negativity stuff. Because I think it's you take a little bit of poison in all the time. Like when you're watching the news, all you're doing is taking in a little bit of poison. Yeah. How could that not cause you to end up having a mind that's full of poison? So I just protect myself. This is a boxing thing. Protect yourself at all times. I'm not going to watch it. I don't need to know. Yeah. Somebody's going to tell me anyway, like, hey, what's going on? Normally, it's my wife. that She's like, did you see this? And then she's like, I have to tell you. I'm like, okay. You can't ignore her for 30 days. You can't ignore your wife for 30 days. I I, I think you're right. When I have down days and you look at, you reflect on the day and you look at the decisions that you made, be it what you ate. If I didn't go to the gym, I feel flat and just all these little decisions. And I'm like, and if I've been unproductive, there's a guilt that sets in and I haven't utilized my time. You just feel like you've completely wasted a day. And you wonder why you feel flat. It's and it's all these decisions. And it's interesting how your body kind of tells you. I think, and I think you got to be really conscious about what's what you let in, uh, yeah. because it, it's almost like it has an effect on you without a doubt. And it's the same with conversations, people you associate with, everything. You have to be aware, like you say, first, because a lot of people they're surrounded by these negative influences, but they don't realize. Yeah. yeah, I've known friends from their school. And they're reluctant to let go of those lifelong friends. Like, yeah, I, I said to us, they're a drain on you. But you know, they're my friends in school. I said, I know that, but there are chains there and they're dragging you back. Yeah. Like, no. clearly, you'd rather have less friends and people who have a positive influence in your life. But anyway, we're going on. To evolve and continue to grow. Now, some of the people that you love don't want to grow. And that's just part of it. I mean, it's even the opposite. I think I think your family, Anthony, can almost be the hindrance sometimes. I, I completely agree with that. But, and even this conversation, I'm meeting you tonight, and it's 9 p.m. here, and well, it's 10 now. But, it's 10. Uh, yeah, but it's, a, it's an enjoyable conversation. You take something away from it rather than doing the same Let's thing. I'll say one thing about your physicality and negativity. So when my children, I had three children that I had a son, and then I had twin daughters. There's a year between those. Okay. So that, that have a lot of kids that are tiny kids. Short right? space and time. Yeah. 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 So it's in law school and I have all this stuff going on and they would come and they would try to change my state. Okay. Cause so they're unhappy. They're crying. They're t- toddlers. Right. And they're going to bang their fists on the ground, do all that stuff and cry and everything that they could do to change my state. Well, I don't let terrorists change my state. And that's what they were, little terrorists. They're very difficult. And what I decided to do is that you can't change my state, but I'm going to change your state. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is as soon as they started complaining, I would start running. So now I'm running around this house 
and I have these little kids who have little tiny legs, right? Like they have just little tiny fat legs. They can't go very fast. And so I don't have to run that fast, but I start running and then guess what? They start running. So now they're chasing me. And then just to make sure that I get them good and worn out, I go up the flight of steps two at a time, right? <laughs> now I got these kids and they come up and then they're laughing. It's a game and everything's good. And then they remember, I'm supposed to be unhappy. And then yeah. they go back into the crying. Oh, then, I've seen that one. Yeah. I run again and I would just keep running because you cannot be negative and unhappy while you're breathing. You can't do it. If you see somebody who's angry, you will notice that they're holding their breath. They are not breathing well at all. And once they start breathing again, it's one of the things that I recommend. And I looked at all the science on this. If you start running or you start lifting weights, it's very hard for you to stay in a negative state mm. because your body's doing all this work and you're getting endorphins that are coming through your body. Now you're starting to feel good. And now all you have to do is just move, right? And we're made to move. So I, I have a lot of things in the book like that are just very practical things that I went and I looked at all of the science on these things, like the science on gratitude, the science on complaining. If you want to be stressed out and have anxiety, complain. That'll do it before you right away. doesn't take you any time to do that. I looked at how to reframe your negative events. So I've had many traumatic events in my life, especially my younger life. And all of them for me now are as important to any positive event I've ever had. So I've reframed them. That's part of the anti-fragility thing. It's like you have to realize you're stronger from those things that happen to you. Even losing a piece of your brain, but still, I'm better without that piece of the brain. I can tell you that for sure. That's wow. interesting. Yeah, I heard that. Can't no, wait to read the book, but because I feel like there's so much out there. Okay, so many people are saying, especially in our job recruitment, a lot of recruiters are saying, if they haven't got the mindset, you can't change it. Don't take them. But actually, I think you can change people's mindset, and you can help change people's mindset. Uh, I believe that. I think if they're open to having a better life, I mean, it's change for people. Yeah. If you're negative because you've been negative and your parents were a bit negative. Yeah. And so there's just a whole bunch of things like that. There's 12 chapters. <clears throat> the last chapter is the negativity fast. That's going to be the hardest chapter for people because you literally have to give up all of the negativity. And but so I was about to say, it, it, it's easy to slip and dumb. It'd be interesting because it, it, it's not just a switch. And you're also retraining what you, you would typically do on autopilot. Yeah. It's not easy. So understanding the process around that and how to change it is will be interesting to learn about. Yeah, so, yeah. definitely. I kept thinking, I don't laugh, okay? Don't laugh. But I always quite fancied myself as a politician. <laughs> and I'm obsessed with politics to the point that I read it every day. But does it make me happy? No. Does it make me angry? Yes. So I wonder how many politicians are able to take the negative fast, if at all. None. None. That's why they're all miserable. Not here in the United States anyway. We are very divided. I think you guys are divided too, but we're in a different category right now. Yeah. Like I've never seen it like this. And I love all my friends. I have friends who are bleeding hard liberals. I've got friends that are just shy of Attila the Hun. Uh, I mean, they're very conservative. And I have people who are just independent people who are trying to make a good decision when they go to vote. And I love all of them. Like, there's no reason to fight over anything like that. And when you read the book, if you read Howard's book, The Lucifer Principle yeah. by Howard Bloom, 
you'll find out how you get infected with and you think that you have ideas, but you don't. Ideas have you. The idea comes to you through other people and through things that you see and things that you read. All of the things that you're coming in that from your culture. And you didn't come out of the womb, Susanna, and go like, I'm a conservative. Like I knew I was a conservative the minute I was born. Like that didn't happen. You had a number of experiences and a lot of people that talked to you about things. And probably one of two things is true. You're very close to your parents when it comes to politics, or you're one that rebelled and goes like, like my kids, my Zoomers are all way more liberal than I am, even though I'm super liberal on social things. I'm not on financial things and things like global issues and stuff like that. So, but they're very, they don't want to have kids because of global warming and they don't want to be paid. And this whole thing for them is they're very different. Yeah. But they are more sensitive than we are. Yeah. They're a very sensitive generation. And that is part of our evolution of consciousness. We, we now are not going to treat people like if you were gay when I was in high school, you would never come out of the closet. Yeah. All the kids that were gay when my kids were in, in school were protected. Like there, there was nobody that was bullying them at all. And yeah. that's, that's progress for us as a species. So much progress. So much progress. We've got such a responsibility as well, haven't we? Like you say, the sensitivity and all of that. It's it's scary. Do you know what? Have you got another two hours so we can just keep talking? <laughs> Honestly, I literally, we're going to have to wrap up now, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. I just, I could you listen to you up? all day. The question is, are you all packed up? For Dubai? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. So excited. And I've got long plane flights ahead. So I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be listening to your audiobooks all the way through, but uh, genuinely, I'm keen to know. I saw something that popped up. I don't know whether I dreamt of it actually happened. You do some kind of mastermind group you're doing. How can people who are listening to you today and they want to learn more, they want to get more consultation from you, how can they follow you, approach you? So well, LinkedIn is an easy place to find me. And the, the other thing is the blog is thesalesblog.com. And we have a lot of things where people, if they want to do something, they can and we're going to be introducing some things like the negativity fast into this. I have to separate it a little bit from the blog just yeah. because Google will start being confused by what I do. So we'll do something that in another place, but we'll point people to it for sure. We're going to do more of this. Anthony, I just want to say thank you for all your work on YouTube as well. A lot of your shorts, I actually WhatsApp or, or text other people and it's an intro to yourself and... I really like, I think your communication is refreshingly honest and it's communicated in a way that's easily applicable. So thank you for that. I I like to be practical and tactical. I'm a cerebral guy, but I always try to boil things down to how do you do it? Because that's what people really need. They need to know that. Yeah, I find uh, sales books really boring sales. I do historically when I did it, I think that that you would whilst whilst I do enjoy personal development books and I love autobiographies, learning about people, but it's, it just made me think about what I thought, no matter what industry you're in, it, you apply it to everyone because it's less about the role and it's more about 
the relationship. Yes. Uh, I, took, I, took a lot, I took a lot away from that. So thank the psychology you. side, definitely. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I agree. I think sales books are boring. I have to write them because I have to give people a framework. But I, I think that there are a lot of other things that you should be reading. I care about human effectiveness and I am humans for the win over yeah. chat GPT and all these other things. For me, I just want to work with human beings. And yeah. I know that you guys do too. This is what we do. 100%. And I don't know anything better that we can do is than help other human beings be successful. I, I, I know this has gone on for a long time, but little things like, they stuck with me, leaving, picking up the phone. I think with all this technology, I can see technology advancing so much that personal relationship skills are going to be so much more needed in the future because everyone's going to hide behind the tech. And they're, they're, It's a bad already. It's only going yeah. to get worse. And you know what? Between you guys and me, I'm happy that people are moving towards this AI because I stand out more than ever now because I'm not using it and I'm capitalizing on it. So yeah. I think I've, I think I've read, written it three times in the last week about actual intelligence is better than artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's pretty stupid. Like it, it's yeah. repetitive. It's boring. It doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, if you try, it's not funny at all. Just it can't do the irony thing at all. I've also written about these things that humans can do that no one else, that technology cannot do. It does not care about you. It yeah. doesn't have any empathy. Ken Wilber, who is the the most cited philosopher in academia in the United States, and a friend of mine I've studied with. I said, what would happen if we took our soul or our consciousness and we moved it into technology? And Ken is one of the smartest people I've ever met. I have some really smart people I know that I go to. And I said, what would that be like? And he said, it would be cold and it would be nothing that you would be able to withstand. It's just not what we are. We are organic to this planet in this way. We maybe will have our conscious being retained in some way. So I'll just say this. So these glasses that Apple came out with, yeah. right? Now you're going to go into a metaverse. That's right. To get people pitching you and trying to sell you things. To escape from the one life that you have, that is 4,108 weeks. We don't have that many left. I have... No. Yeah. I have about 1,300 1300 maybe a little bit more than that why would you not be with the people that you love and care about like why would you go into a place with strangers with glasses on yeah when this is this I mean, yeah yeah you ever have a pizza it's pretty good right <laughs> it is you ever have a, a yeah. dog or anything like that they're nice good too. dogs are good too aren't they like all these things that we have are great and you're escaping from it i don't yeah. understand they're taking over. They're taking over. And you know what? Like, I'm glad that we had this conversation because it reminds me, especially raising two young kids, so important because their mood is so dire after they've His been like in front of something. Kids that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> He's listening. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, like I said, we want to have you for hours and genuinely we will probably beg you to come back and hope that you do at some point. But thank you so much. For we will. And we'll do it when the negativity fast comes out and I'll send you some books when we get them. We'll have some. I'm, I'm almost done. I have 
five chapters that are being edited and then I have to go through those and then I'm done by June 30th. Yeah, please send because in the UK it's a bit later than in the US. So yeah, if there's any way you can get that sooner. If you ever make the trip over to the UK, let us know as well. Or Dubai. Or Dubai, of course. But it'd be great to meet with you in person. And thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, please leave us a five-star review. We continually try to get the top billers in the world of recruitment to help you increase your billings, be a top commission earner, and most importantly, live your most rewarding life. You can find out about new roles on my Instagram, at Susanna Chime Search, and you can find me on LinkedIn or join the Chime Searches page to get all of the latest recruitment updates and tips. Thank you for listening. Thank you.